we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Hugh-topia Football Podcast. Good to be with you. A Tuesday edition, a mailbag edition of the podcast. mailbag at gmail.com. If you didn't get a question in this week, that email works all the time. Uh, for future podcasts, mailbag at gmail.com. We've got our Super Bowl matchup in the books. We've got the coaching carousel going crazy right now uh, at the tail end here with Washington and Seattle, both as we record this job's still open and obviously a lot of people still kicking tires on Gerard Johnson as their potential offensive coordinator. Welcome in everybody. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 610. Joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, the great John McClain. John, uh, scale of one to 10, how are you feeling about the Super Bowl matchup as far as the sexiness of it goes? Well, I'm fired up about it. I'd say on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd give it a 10 because I like Kyle Shanahan and a lot of his people because they used to be here. They -hmm. think they should have been in position to win the Super Bowl last year if they hadn't lost three quarterbacks. Now they're back with Brock Purdy coming off a a clutch performance in the NFC championship game victory over Detroit. And then, boy, I picked the Chiefs to lose at Buffalo – I picked them to lose at Baltimore, and I ain't picking them to lose the Super Bowl. And uh, I think because of their defense, Steve Spagnuolo tied the all-time record for Super Bowl appearances by defensive coordinator uh, tying Dick LeBeau, and he and his side of the ball have been fantastic. And they're getting a lot of respect, Sean. But still, Patrick Mahomes, of course, is the whole story. Then Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. But, man, that defense is playing great. It's really good. Um, this is the first time you and I have had a chance to talk since the conference title games, John. So I, I wanted to just give give the two of us a chance to get our thoughts out there on that. I guess starting with the the AFC, since you were just mentioning the Chiefs and uh, and the way that they you know closed out the Ravens in the AFC title game. I don't know, John, I don't know that I've seen a, a top-seeded team at home play a more undisciplined, stupid football game as I saw the Baltimore Ravens play against the Kansas City Chiefs. Kyle Van Noy, Jadeveon Clowney, Zay Flowers of all people. Like, Zay Flowers is thought to be like a super high-character football player, and it's like Kadarius Tony inhabited his soul for like 10 minutes in that game. <laughs> he's spinning balls on top of guys, and he's fumbling at the goal line, and he's punching a bench and cutting his hand. And <laughs> John, it, was, it seemed like every time they did something stupid, they exacerbated it with more stupid stuff. Even the even towards the end of the game, John, when when the they they jumped off sides, I think it was an offside, something set up a first and five for the Chiefs when the Ravens are just trying to get a stop so they can get the ball back. And they smartly decided to jump off sides to set up a first and 10 instead of a first and five. Because at that point, it's all about the three downs you're about to play, not where you are on the field. They couldn't even do that right. Roquan Smith comes in and waylays the right guard and gets called for unsportsmanlike conduct. Jump. They couldn't even jump off sides without getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, John. It was an, it was an un-John Harbaugh-like yes. performance because John's a great coach. Everybody knows it. They were the best team in the NFL 
this season, had the best record. And the stat that comes out that is the most telling me, you know, they ran for 227 yards against the Texans. They demolished the Texans with the run in the second half of the divisional victory. Their backs had six carries for 23 yards. That's an indictment of offensive coordinator Todd Monken, who didn't run the running backs enough. Lamar Jackson didn't play well, not clutch. And uh, they just, they came unglued. It's like they choked on the moment being too big, which stuns me because they had such an experienced team, but they didn't do the things they did to get there. And don't you know, D'Amico Ryan's, Nick Casario, the McNair family were watching that game and they're like, why didn't they play like that in the second half against us? Yeah, I I think it's a fair question. I Look, what we learned in that game against the Chiefs was something the Texans knew already. And the Texans knew what I'm about to say because they took the ball when they won the coin toss in this game. If you get a lead on Lamar Jackson, he gets uncomfortable. He gets shaky. Um, the Ravens took the ball or got the ball to start the game, went three and out. And then the Chiefs go down and score a touchdown. And then, John, honestly, for like the rest of the afternoon, Lamar Jackson just looked hesitant. He looked shaky. He 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 looked indecisive. Um, there were times where he's standing back there six, seven seconds where I feel like in any other game, that's when he takes off and runs for about 25 yards. He's looking downfield. And you're right. Todd Munkin called a horrible game, particularly in the first half of that game he's calling a bunch of stuff that didn't play to the strengths of Lamar Jackson at all. Like in turn for, you know, forget for a second that you're not calling any design runs for Lamar Jackson, nor any runs period for anybody. It seemed like in that game, he's calling these quick hitters for Lamar, you know, where Lamar's throwing sidearm and he's throwing like quick missile screens and things like that. And it's interesting because you're watching Mahomes do almost the exact same thing. And he's just so precise, you know, classic Andy Reed kind of stuff and Mahomes stuff. Lamar Jackson, even when he's throwing the ball, well, like percentage wise, completion percentage wise is never a precise passer. The ball's never always like right here with Lamar. It's, it's a little bit off and he's got guys that make plays. I I was just, I was flabbergasted by the play calling in the first half of that game. Um, And I would be, if I'm a Ravens fan, that game would make me real nervous about the future of any chance of winning a Super Bowl with Lamar, just because this is how he's played from behind. Like you It's really tough, John, when you've got a quarterback who is about to enter the cap area that Lamar is, 40, 50, at the end, 60 or 70 million a year in terms of what he's taking up salary cap-wise, that the game has to unfold a certain kind of way for a guy that's getting 50, 60 million a year on your cap is a really, really restrictive thing compared to other teams who have elite quarterbacks like that. They were so discombobulated on offense and getting away from the running game which is what they do best, lead the league, you know, getting sacks. And they didn't – and and they, they did things mentally they hadn't done before. And that's what a choke is. You do things you haven't done yeah. and you lose. And why they got away from the backs running the football when the game was close enough to run the football, yeah. I haven't seen Todd Monken's quotes, if indeed he's been quoted, but it was a terrible coaching job by him and uh, John Arbaugh. Like we'll get the blame because he's the head coach and he oversees everything, but makes me wonder what in the world was their game plan? Well, it makes me wonder, John, and this is, you know, maybe this is an easy segue over to the NFC title game. All four of the coordinators for the losing teams in this game are all 
at least partially occupied right now with other jobs. Now, Ben Johnson isn't anymore. He pulled his name out today. He's going to go back and be the OC for the Detroit Lions. In other words, they told him he wasn't in the running. Probably. Yeah, probably. But but either way, um, he's been looking for, you know, he's been interviewing with teams, a bunch of teams. Aaron Glenn, D.C. for Detroit, been interviewing, still interviewing with a bunch of teams. Well, now just with Washington and Seattle, but they've they've been part of these other searches that have wound up with other guys. Similarly, the Ravens with Mike McDonald, their D.C., and, and we just mentioned Todd Monk and their offensive coordinator, maybe not interest to the degree of Ben Johnson and others, but they've all been candidates for some of these positions. And it does make me wonder, and I'm definitely curious your thoughts on this, John, like the two teams that lost these conference title games have coordinators that have had other things going on aside from just getting ready for these games. Whereas Kansas city and San Francisco, their coordinators and whoever, I mean, I know Kyle Shanahan's basically their OC, but even like, you know, one of the Kubiak kids is somebody who's at least getting interest maybe for OC jobs and things like that. It, it feels like if, if the, the coach hiring cycle affected teams this weekend it feels like it had a profound effect on the two teams that lost those games you put any sort of correlation there between the outcomes of those games the performances of those units at times in these games and the interest that these guys have in head coaching jobs no because and Monken wasn't in high demand like the others have been and he was and, the worst of the four <laughs> and zay zay flowers i don't think his mistakes had anything to do with that yeah. and the penalties the stupid penalties yeah. and uh and uh, I was wondering, doesn't John Harbaugh get on the headphones and tell Monken, hey, we want to run the ball, give the ball yeah. to the backs. But uh, Ben Johnson had some bad calls, but, man, they had mistakes, boneheaded calls by Dan Campbell. Yeah. And uh, I think it was both of those teams, the moment was too big for them, which you might expect from Detroit when they're up 24-7 to and we see them – choke like crazy and it started at the top with Dan Campbell but the Ravens that that's still I know it was the Chiefs I know the Chiefs played great but one thing you pointed out was when Lamar Jackson's back there holding the ball holding the ball holding the ball every receiver can't be perfectly covered for that right. long so yeah. for whatever reason he was not seeing the whole field and as you use the word indecisive that's exactly what he was and next year, if they're in that situation again, are you going to have confidence in them? It's just like the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. When they're in playoffs, are you going to have confidence in them? You know, you'll have confidence in Brock Purdy uh, over them because Purdy produced, and they well, didn't. It's John, astonishing. The question our audience might want to get your take on is, would you rather have C.J. Stroud than Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott next year? Well, you would love to be able to get into the AFC Championship game by Lamar Jackson, who next week will be announced as a two-time MVP. But at least Stroud still has a chance to be molded. Lamar Jackson may be as far as he can be. And I'll tell you something amazing. Usually people on ESPN and NFL Network will not criticize him, but they all did. And uh, if that doesn't motivate him to be better, Nothing will, but right now I think I'd rather have Stroud over Prescott and Lamar Jackson because they may be what they are. They can get you the playoffs. They might win a game, but 
boy, if you want him to go to the Super Bowl, there's some big questions. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm unequivocally, I'd rather have C.J. Stroud. I, I'd rather have C.J. Stroud because I feel like if he's got the right talent around him, if he had Lamar Jackson's talent around him, he, he can come back from being down 10 nothing or 14 nothing. C.J. Stroud, pretty easily. We've seen it happen in games this season. Lamar Jackson, I, I saw Mike Sando put this in his pick his uh, pick six Monday column that he does, Mike Sando of The Athletic. And Lamar Jackson and Peyton Manning draw a lot of comparisons because it took Peyton a long time to finally get over that hump. Peyton took a long time just to win a playoff game. You know, yep. he was a spectacular regular season quarterback, and it took him five or six years to finally just win a playoff game, let alone get to the AFC title game. Um and, and those two get compared quite a bit. The difference is Peyton, according to Sando, had on average the 29th best scoring defense on the other side for him. The Colts defense was not a good defense all those seasons. Lamar's had the benefit of having the second best scoring defense since week 10 when he took over for Joe Flacco in 2018. So, I mean, in some ways it's inexcusable that he hasn't gotten to a, at least gotten to, you know, at least, at least threatened getting to a Super Bowl over these, you know, these, uh, you know, five plus years. I mean, I guess if you count Sundays, them threatening going to a Super Bowl because it was a one score game, but that that it took them this long to even get this close is um, is is kind of, you know, unacceptable or inexcusable. Like you're not going to, obviously, they're not moving on from Lamar. They gave him a huge contract, but this is, I, I'd be nervous if I were a Ravens fan that that this is the guy we're dancing with right now when it comes to winning a Super Bowl. I think they'll win 10 to 12 games every year as long as he's a quarterback because what he does and what they do defensively is good enough to boat race two-thirds of the teams in the league. You know, they'll they'll win eight or nine games by 14 to 20 points because they're, they're just that much more talented than other teams. But, man, against good teams and against other good quarterbacks, and in this case against a really good defense with Kansas City, and that's the impressive thing about Kansas City to me, John, is the way they were winning and getting to Super Bowls early in Patrick Mahomes' career is so different than the way they're getting there now. You know, they've completely reinvented themselves. Mahomes is the fulcrum of the whole thing, but they've gone from being just a, you know, basketball on turf to being a, really a team where their defense is their best unit right now, I think. And it's a credit to Andy Reid and his coaching. And going back to Lamar Jackson, I'll end it with this. At least he's still young enough to overcome that obstacle, whether it's mental or physical, he has plenty of time to do it. And because John Harbaugh's a great coach and they have good general manager and they still, even though they draft low, they still get players and they always yeah. find coaches to coach him. He'll have more opportunities to prove everybody wrong. Yeah, I think so too. Even in that division, which is an elite division with Burrow in there. And, you know, we'll see what Deshaun Watson winds up being this year in, in, in Cleveland and, and Pittsburgh's always, Pittsburgh always seems to be, uh, competitive. Um, John, just quick thoughts on the NFC title game. I, you kind of alluded to it a couple times by the way you were referring to Dan Campbell, but it sounds like you are unequivocally on the side of he screwed up royally by going forward on those fourth down situations. Well, people let him off the hook because they say, well, that's what he did during the season. That's who he is. But sometimes you have to exercise common sense. When, you, when analytics tell you, okay, you're playing the Panthers, or any other really bad team, and it's fourth and two, and you're on your 35-yard line, it says, go for it because you'll be successful 40% of the time. Mm -hmm. Well, that wasn't Panthers. That's the 49ers who have a great front seven. And sometimes you have to exercise common sense that says, no, whoa. 
analytics doesn't have anything to account for the opponent. And they're too good for us to go for it. And then they scored, 49ers scored touchdowns both times. Now, they had a lot of other mistakes. Most people are letting him off the hook. You know, Ben Johnson had some bad calls, but he's not getting the criticism he would because oh. of Dan Campbell. But yeah. uh, they came unglued in the second half. And the and the the biggest play, of course, was Brandon Ayuk and that yeah. poor Kendall uh, – I forgot his last name. Vildor. Vildor, I think. Something yeah, like Vildor. He, poor guy, misses interception, goes through his hands, hits him in the face back, face mask, and Ayuk makes a great diving it's catch. A catch, yeah. And you knew you could feel the momentum changing, but you can't afford to beat yourself in a game like that. There's a difference in being aggressive and being stupid. Well, John, the only thing I would say to that, and I probably would have tried the field goal. Certainly, the I, I, I think my guess is I probably would have tried the field goal in the fourth quarter to tie the game. Even though I think Dan Campbell actually made some decent arguments for his decision, that one in particular, which was the 49ers started to move the ball on them in the second half. Like, they weren't stopping the 49ers. So, big deal. We tie the game 27-27. If the rest of the game plays out the way the second half had been playing out, the Niners basically just grind it out, close, go down the field grind the clock down to dust and kick a game-winning field goal, and they're off to the Super Bowl. He wanted to take a lead in that game, which I can I can entertain that argument. I, I'm, I'm not saying I would do the same thing, but that's at least a, a sound argument. I think it does get ignored. Their kicker sucks. Badgley's terrible, and he's really bad from 45 yards and further, which is when that field goal that I'm talking about right now that would have tied it at 27 if they had tried to kick it. That was a 47-yard field goal attempt. Um, so I, I – it's not like they had Justin Tucker or even Kaimi Fairbairn as their kicker. The Lions have a very, very bad kicker. I think that probably fa- that probably factored in heavily too. And Dan Campbell's just not a guy who's going to throw his kicker under the bus in a post game press conference. He hadn't kicked outdoors. He'd been there since uh, December, but he's kicked with a bunch of teams. And you know why did they sign him? But the bottom line: someday you're the bug, someday you're the windshield. Yeah. And uh, Dan Campbell and the Lions were the bug. Yep, they were. Um, all right, John, I was going to hit the coaching carousel, but conveniently enough, there's a couple coaching carousel questions in the mailbag. So let's just use the mailbag as our conduit. Uh, by the way, do you have an early feel on the Super Bowl here as far as uh, – I think you may have alluded to it. You're not. It doesn't sound like you're going to fade Patrick Mahomes anymore. You're going to back no. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, no, I'm with I'm you on that. Column on SportsRadio610.com okay. says – I'm taking a 450 million contract over the 3.7 million <laughs> contract. It's a humongous mismatch, yeah. and it's some wise old Al told me never bet against Patrick Mahomes. I made mm-hmm. that mistake in the last two rounds, and I will me not too. do yep. it again. I'm you and I. It's that the the prediction for the Super Bowl is not going to make for a very entertaining debate on this podcast because you and I are in lockstep on that one. I'm I'm done getting burned by Patrick Mahomes. Um, all right, let's get to the mailbag. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Haas in Katie. We gotta love a guy named Haas, John. Um, looks like we're getting down to the tail end of the search with only Washington and Seattle left. So two questions. What are the chances Bobby Slowick stays? And where's Gerard Johnson right now in the OC searches? So let's start with Slowick, John. Let's do a state of the union here on Bobby Slowick. The big news is Ben Johnson is going back to Detroit. How that all, how they all arrived at that, or told he wasn't getting a job, whatever the case may be. Bottom line is Ben Johnson's not going to be a head coach this cycle, which leaves Washington and Seattle. 
so we've got Slowick and other big names out there. Dan Quinn, Mike Vrabel, Mike McDonald of the Ravens, the defensive coordinator. What do you think the chances are that Bobby Slowick gets one of these two jobs? I don't think he's going to get one because I've been saying he's not ready. He's going to call plays when he's a head coach. After calling plays one year, he did a great job, but boy, I just don't think he's ready. Just like Gerard Johnson. If Gerard goes to New Orleans, he's going somewhere where Dennis Allen could be fired after one season and Cleveland hired uh, Ken Dorsey. Yeah. And uh, so I think both of them will be back and that'll be good for CJ Stroud and the Texans. Yeah. Okay. The, the Gerard Johnson thing, he also has been requested by Tampa Bay. Do you think Tampa Bay is a good offensive coordinator job? Um, well, you would call all the plays because you have uh, Todd Bowles with a defensive background. Baker Mayfield's contract's up. What if he doesn't re-sign? Right. Then who do you have? Then yeah. you're too good to get a quarterback. Show some patience. If you do a good job and you've got C.J. Stroud here and a good head coach, good GM, good owners – this is going to be a good job. Wait one more year. Bobby Sloick gets a head coaching job. Then you're elevated after two years as a quarterback coach to be a play caller. Where if you go now, it's just, you know, it's not a perfect situation. As I told John Lopez, because he's so close with Gerard, I said he just shouldn't get ants in his pants to take the first job that comes. Stay here. Be patient. Keep doing a great job. Good things will happen. Yeah, agreed. All right, Brian in Fort Bend County. I know the Rooney rule has stipulations where teams get draft picks if a minority is hired off of their staff. Would the Texans get draft picks if Gerard Johnson gets an offensive coordinator job? Uh, I don't know the rule on that about going from quarterback coach. What is it? He it's, it, it, it the, the, the draft pick rule only applies to head coaching and general manager jobs. So if you get promoted from – an offensive coordinator, any, whatever position, you know, just some non-head coaching position to a head coaching position with another team. It's got to be with another team. Then you get uh, the team that had hired you. You know, for example, let's pretend Gerard Johnson got hired to be a head coach somewhere. I know it's not going to happen, but let's pretend. Texans would get two third-round picks, one this year and one next year. Um, and similarly with personnel people that get hired out of a front office to a GM role with another team. Like the Titans probably got a couple third round picks for hiring Rank Carthen as their GM last year from the 49ers. So, or I'm sorry, San Francisco got a couple third round picks because the Titans hired Rank Carthon. The team that had that person in the building gets two third round picks for developing them. 49ers have gotten a lot of picks yeah. for losing minorities. They have. D'Amico was one of them. Uh, D'Amico was one when he got promoted to head coach of the Houston Texans. Hell, John, the Ravens got two third-round picks for David Culley because the Ravens did such a great job of developing <laughs> that young whippersnapper David Culley into a head coach back in the day. The Texans so, checked with the league. Do we get a third-round pick because we elevated Lovey? Uh, no. No, no. It's got to be with another team. <laughs> then they're like, well, crap. Never hurts to ask. Yeah, exactly. All right, Aaron in California, would you rather for the 2024 season, that was a fun question, would you rather have a defense like our 2016 defense that dominated the league and run it back with the, the guys you have on offense already, in other words, make some acquisitions on the defensive side of the ball, or would you rather run back the same defensive personnel and put all the resources into the offensive side of the ball to make C.J. Stroud the – steward of a an elite offense in other words john the texans have a lot of cap space and a lot of draft picks to improve a lot of things on the team 
if you had to go all in on one side of the ball or the other, which would you rather go all in on with those resources? I'd go in on defense because we saw C.J. Stroud help make Nico Collins into an elite receiver. Tank Dell was going to be in the running for rookie of the year with, with Stroud because he was off to an outstanding start. So I think, you know, you got so many linemen coming back. Don't know if they'll re-sign Singletary, but they got to get better on defense. They got, uh, they need safeties. They're going to need another corner, one at least, maybe two. And you always need linemen. So I would pour it into the defense. I would too, mainly because you alluded to it. The offensive line was just such a mess this year with injuries. I would kind of count on them getting healthy again, them being on the system in a second season here in a system that's not the easiest to learn and requires a lot of cohesiveness on that offensive line, which they never really were able to get because it was such a revolving door. And I would hope that my improvement offensively would come from that. Plus, I, I mean, I do think, I do think they don't need to make major upgrades to wide receiver, but they definitely need to get some better depth. That's not journeyman vets like Robert Woods has kind of become and, and, uh, and Noah Brown, uh, you know, Noah Brown had a couple good games. The big key is keeping Tank Dell healthy, in my opinion. You know, that when when Dell went out, that's when things really started to get gummed up with the offense. So um, I'm with you on that. I would go defensive side of the ball as well. Um, all right. Uh, Joe Q, our guy Joe Q, a six-round pick from Michigan, once beat Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl. Can a seventh-round pick from Iowa State do the honors again? Sounds like you think no, John. Well, of course he could, but I'm not picking it because he's got so much more talent on his side on his side with the 49ers offense than the Chiefs do. The Chiefs have Travis Kelsey, and that's it. And Rasheed Rice is a good rookie receiver, but he and Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel, and they don't have a Christian McCaffrey. So Purdy has the weapons around him, and they get a lot of yards after the catch, and so he could do it. You know what's amazing about Mahomes? In the after all that struggling during his season with drops and everything, they've only had three drops in three games, and he has no interceptions in three games. But he's only averaging 239 yards a game, which is unusual for him. Yeah. And yeah. as you mentioned earlier, they have transformed the way they play. But if they're behind and they need to rally to win, I feel a lot more confident with Mahomes than Purdy. Yeah, I do too. Mac in Pasadena, I think, is just trolling us, John. It's Brock Purdy elite. <laughs> well, he asked me that on uh, on, uh, uh, on in the loop. Uh, leg hiking on leg in the hiking. loop. I said, no, he's not elite. Elite is are the top guys. Patrick Mahomes is elite. I mean, he's he's good. He's more yeah. than a game manager, and he has a chance to be even better. I'll say this: he's more elite than Joe Flacco is. Brock Purdy. I'll say that. Because that's the other guy that we had to answer that question about after he won a Super Bowl, of course. I know Joe Flacco's won a Super Bowl, and Brock Purdy has not won one yet. Brock Purdy has made a Pro Bowl, I believe, and Joe Flacco never made a Pro Bowl. Can you believe that, John? As many guys keep backing out of it. Every every time I turn on the radio, I hear guys are backing out of the Pro Bowl. That's like on the Hall of Fame. And uh, you have to, we have to determine, okay, let's see. There were 40 Pro Bowl players. It should have been 30. Who was voted in and who was an alternate? That's Flacco something never, that's important. Flacco never made one, even with all those guys backing out all those years. And no position backs out more than quarterback. No uh, respect. No respect elite, for John. old Joe. Not elite. Not elite like Brock Purdy, that's for sure. 
All right, two more. Um, this is from Michael. The Texans are nominated for four awards next week at the NFL Honors. C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson for Offensive Defensive Rookie of the Year. D'Amico Ryan's Coach of the Year. Bobby Slowick, Assistant Coach of the Year. They're going to hand all those awards out next Thursday night. Over under, he says, one and a half on the number of awards the Texans take home that night. What say you? So, John, under. C.J. So just C.J. Yeah. C.J.'s a lock, right? There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, bridesmaids. Yeah. There's going to, I think, I think, D'Amico will finish second at Kevin Stefanski. Will mm-hmm. will finish second or third. I feel strongly if Will hadn't gotten hurt at the end and he'd been able to put on a show yeah. in, the, in, the, in the night game, then the primetime game, that it would have helped him. And But I'm not so – because Jalen Carter hadn't been good all year. Witherspoon hadn't been good all year. The, the defensive player has probably been the best all year. It's Kobe Turner, a tackle – from the Rams. I think he was third round pick. He was in double digit sacks and it's going to be close. And I hope those voters are as smart as the pro football writers who voted Will Anderson Jr. The award and uh, Bobby Slowick won't get it. That'll go to mm-hmm. Ben Johnson or Jim Schwartz. One of those yeah. guys. I think Schwartz, I think Schwartz and Stefanski are kind of hand in hand on this you know Stefanski's gonna Stefanski's gonna win the award because they were able to get to the playoffs and win 11 games with so much churn at quarterback and Schwartz is gonna win the award because ultimately the reason they won all those games with all those quarterbacks because the defense was so good and they so got so gonna, much attention so much yeah. publicity yep. out of all that now the other one executive of the year is totally separate from the Associated Press the sporting news used to do it yeah. And they would just announce it. I don't know if they still do, but Casario's going to be in the running. Brad Holmes uh, got the, uh, I think, Pro Football Writers. He, did. he did, has done a great job with he the did. Lions. But as I pointed out when I read this week, Dan Campbell ought to be a runaway for Coach of the Year. He was supposed to win the NFC North. Where were yeah. the Texans supposed to be? One of the drags of the place. NFL. Yeah, they were supposed to be in last place in their division. They won their division. Um, all right, last one, John. Uh, what's your early read on the Texans drafting at number 23? If you had to pick three positions they're targeting with their first-round pick, what are they? Defensive end, defensive tackle, and nose tackle. I think that <laughs> I, I don't see anybody in the early mock drafts having them pick a defensive lineman. And even if Will Anderson Jr. Uh, uh, were to have Jonathan Grenard opposite him again, even if Sheldon Rankins re-signed, and they had their four back. The way D'Amico talks about the defensive line controlling everything on the defense and the way he doesn't like the blitz and the way the 49ers stockpiled number one picks and free agents in the line, I think it's going to be a lineman. There's no need for it to be a wide receiver in a draft that is so deep and talented. Uh, you see receivers that are really good beyond the first round. And another one, it could be a cornerback. You know, you're going to go against, let's see, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have to rush the quarterback and you're going to have to cover. And if it was, and I don't think see him using a number one pick on an offensive lineman. A lot of people uh, have him taking an offensive tackle. I I just don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. I was just going to say that, John. Like, I've seen mock drafts with them taking offensive linemen and I like I just don't get it like I, th- those are people that haven't looked into the situation I mean they're they're committed to, like really committed to three of these guys like there's they, they can't move off of 
Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard, or Shaq Mason without taking major, major salary cap implications. And at this point, the, like Laramie Tunsil's a pro bowler. Like you're not going to move off of him because he's expensive. And uh, Shaq Mason was your only constant on the line this year, and he played pretty decently, I, I would say. And Titus is the big mystery, but you're not going to just move on from Titus Howard. You're going to see what a healthy Titus Howard looks like at right tackle, which we didn't see at all once he broke his hand in training camp. He was a left guard the entire time he came back. So, And then they've got all that draft capital committed to guys too. So I I'm, I don't see them. I think they'll draft some offensive linemen with some of these picks, but I don't think it's going to be with the 23rd overall pick. So um, no. I'm with and, you. And, and plus you got Jay Scruggs, Jared Patterson. They right. started. They liked the two. Young guys. Another thing, and they haven't given up on Kenyon Green. Devin Singletary never fumbled one time. He was very reliable. Mm -hmm. He ended up career high in yards, but he only started 10 games. If he started 17, 16 games, he might have been up around 11, 1,200 yards. They still they have to decide, can, can Damian Pierce learn this offense? Can Chris Strasser? The offensive line coach had never coached the scheme. Why they hired a coach, no matter how good he was at Indy, who had not worked in that scheme is beyond me. So he was learning on the fly as well. So it was also interesting. Shaq Mason's the only player started every game. Yep. That is amazing. When you have that many injuries, I can't wait to see what they decide to do with a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. It may be the same. It may not be, but running games got to be figured first. They're not going to draft a running back at 23rd. But boy, when you see Jameer Gibbs, how good he is. Yeah. How fast and you think Bijan Robinson. But I'm interested. Are they going to bring back Dalton Schultz? If they don't, they got to start totally over at tight end. And uh, will they try to bring back Singletary? Those two guys, because they're favorites of CJ Stroud, can they do better? Yeah. Yeah, the other thing, John, if they had started Devin Singletary 17 games, I don't know if he lasts 17 games. You know, well, he's like been a, very durable throughout his career. He it's has, amazing. but he never he but he never got that kind of traffic either. You know, he was always splitting carries with somebody up in Buffalo. And and he I mean he wasn't really a bell cow until the last half of the season with the Texans. But I hope he's back, but I hope he's back in a role that they I think they envisioned for him when they signed him, which was him and Damian Pierce being sort of a two-headed monster. Damian's inability to grasp the offense really changed the calculus for the Texans in the second half of the season, um, for sure. Uh, all right, John, what do you got going on this week on the website? I've got a column up there about the Super Bowl and uh, and Utopia Football Podcast. There you go. All right, John, I will uh, talk to you on Wednesday morning. I'm Payne and Pendergast. I enjoyed the podcast, as always. Uh, thank you very much, John. I did, too, and uh, we'll do our – uh, Fugazi's on Thursday. Can't wait for real or Fugazi coming up Thursday. It'll be good. And we're, we're just uh, uh, about 10 or 11 days, 12 days away from the Super Bowl as well. So that's popping. We'll continue to give thoughts on that as the week unfolds here on the podcast. Big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, for getting this podcast out to all of you in a timely fashion. We ask that you click the subscribe button wherever it is you listen to your podcast. That means you get it automatically, easily, and you don't have to seek it out. That's the easy way to do it. So, for James Jackson and John McClain, I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We'll see all of you a little later on this week for the next episode of the Football Podcast. Have a great day. Everybody.